Welcome to the Mavs Moneyball podcast. This is Josh Bo, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyball.com. Joining me this week on a Wednesday evening, uh, this will be Thursday when you guys are listening to this, uh, we have Bryce Patrick, uh, one of our staff writers over at MavsMoneyball.com, basically our in-the-field reporter for most of the season along with Doyle. Uh, Bryce, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, trying to get into the swing of things with our new uh, new partnership with SB Nation. We're doing podcasts, a bunch of different podcasts. So if you're listening to this, uh, we've got two other podcasts from Jeffrey Cooperstein and uh, Nick from from the site as well. And so you'll be seeing those in, the, in your feed. So it's been fun doing that. And uh, Bryce, it's been fun watching you go to games and, and get some scoops and or at least get some perspective and and be at games and it's uh it's been good and it's also been good because you were at practice today where the Mavericks announced that Kristaps Porzingis had his first full five on five practice. I believe it was his first pra- like full five on five no restriction practice since he uh, injured his ACL last year. So even though the plan is he's still not supposed to be playing this year, it felt like kind of a big step because he was not doing that in New York and it felt like he was never going to do that in New York. So uh, Bryce, you were there, you you were part of the reporter scrums with Carlisle and Przingis as they talked about it. And what were kind of your takeaways uh, in the mood, uh, you know, from those two and and the team? Well, uh, even last night, um, I know Brad Townsend said something on Twitter about I don't remember when he said this, but I'm sure it was on one of the road trips, but how Carlisle, I think even in this month, said like Przingis was probably not going to fully practice this season. And then here he is, and it leaks out on national television. He talks to Karan Butler and says, oh yeah, by the way, I've got my first five-on-five practice uh, tomorrow. And then Carlisle hinted that um, in his post game last night, that oh yeah, Porzingis will be engaging in five-on-five practice soon, which obviously meant today. Um, But the move was really great, really positive. Um, Porzingis said a million times how great he felt, and Carlisle was gushing about how he was much better than he even originally thought and brought up his passing, which um, and all these other kinds of basketball instincts and the cuts he made and all kinds of things that apparently you can't see on tape uh, nearly as well as you can live in practice, five on five and real basketball situations. So it was a real positive mood out there today. Yeah. And it's felt like it's been positive with him since he's come uh, to the Mavs. And I know that's a big deal since he's a restricted free agent this summer. And, you know, when he was first traded over here, there were some reports that he might want to sign the qualifying offer. And then he actually got to Dallas and it seems to be a lot more cheerful. And I know when you hear quali- qualifying offer, at least for me, I get PTSD to Orleans <laughs> Noel from a couple of years ago and how that killed me. So it's it's good to see that the that him and the team seem to be in a good mood. And really, when he first got here, when he first had his first kind of like light practice where he was just doing shooting, he looked pretty good. And it seemed like he's pretty much been recovered from his ACL for a while now, maybe at least a couple months. And now it's just him trying to get back into basketball shape and then maybe trying to do some work on his body. Cause I know he had some like tests done and like biometrics say that like the way he, he moves and the way his weight is like, he's more prone to, to lower leg injuries than a, than a normal guy. And cause of his height. Um, so it sounds like, you know, Carl said the, the plan is still the same in terms of him not playing this season, but he definitely looks like he could. So uh, 
from talking to Carlisle and talking to Perzingis and, and being in that, in that huddle, um, what are, what are your takeaways from that? And do you really think he's, uh, they're going to keep, keep that plan and not have him play this year? I, th- I think they're definitely keeping the plan, but <clears throat> I know that he could play now. And I think he knows that he can play now. He's basically said as much and, um, bunch of reporters are trying to ask him there's the main questions like could he play right now what's his health long term and other things like that those are the main questions and just look at him now and all the stuff he's doing he knows he can play right now some some reporter i forgot who it was and even if i remember it i don't want to throw him under the bus but they're like so rick if if this was game seven of the nba finals would he play rick just kind of looked at him and gave him that rick carlisle look and was like come on come on <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know yeah i don't know what kind of answer you're looking to get get from that kind of question but it, it happens yeah i mean sometimes they answer questions you never think they'll ask but that was one he was definitely never going to answer but um yeah i mean initially they're all the mavericks were all all right yeah he's definitely not playing whatever we're not even going to entertain the possibility and we're basically going to fight you if you try and insinuate that he could play or whatever. And now Rick's more like, uh, these decisions aren't really mine, um, but I'm told that we're sticking with the original plan, so I'm all good with that. He's all good with that. It's all fine. It wasn't nearly as like aggressive and defensive for the Mavs camp as it was earlier on. And even Porzingis is talking about how like he – Someone asked him if he was anxious to play this season. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely anxious. I want to play this season. But, you know, we're going to stick with the plan and be safe and whatever. And I think it's all all about, like, <clears throat> you know, making sure that he doesn't screw up his chance to get that max deal that Dallas is probably going to throw at him uh, this offseason, um, which, you know, I understand. That's fine. Um, someone asked him about if he saw the risk versus rewards. Um and he said, I don't, I don't see any risk, but you know, we're still going to be safe and whatever. Like that was the actual thing that he said. And I was a little surprising that he wasn't as, you know, reserved about it as his camp seems to be, or whoever the mystery decision maker is behind him sitting out all season, even though it seems like he's healthy. But yeah, you're right. He talked about biomechanic stuff. I'm thinking to write something the next couple of days on Mavs Moneyball about what he said about making sure that it's not just like Kirk Henderson said um, earlier when he was on Twitter. I got to go find where it is. Otherwise I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt, but um, where his rehab, it's not just about him getting recovered from the ACL, but it's about, like you said, him being more predisposed as a seven foot three person to those lower leg injuries and the way he moves. So it was about fixing some of the way that he ran, he jumped, he talked about, he feels much better and more fluid when he's doing those activities now, he said he felt stronger than he was before the injury. And, you know, Mavs fans, like, I get it. You want to see him. You want to see him and Luca right, right now, as we all do. But this season's basically lost. So you might as well let him sit out. Be sure that he'll be fine. Make sure he'll be happy next season and lock him up long term this summer. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm thinking, too. And uh, when you talk about, you know, the decision-making going into him not playing and, you know, the biomechanics and stuff, that's important too. And I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, he has a max restricted contract on his plate this summer. You know, the Mavs are going to do that. You know, Cuban said that that's what they plan to do. So really the only thing 
that could mess that up is him is him playing and, and suffering some sort of setback. And, you know, even if he is a hundred percent, it's almost like a smaller scale version of what's going on with some of the NFL players that are sitting out for, for better deals. You know, it's why play, you know, the season's over Their Mavericks aren't making the playoffs and there's nothing really to be gained other than, you know, you get some more time with, with Luca and, and Porzingis on the floor, but presumably, you know, that's already happening if they're practicing and, and that's going to be happening over the summer and, and he'll be ready to go this summer and training camp and preseason all and all that. So, you know, really how much are you really going to get out of him and how much is it really going to help by having him play, you know, 10 games or, or whatever. Uh, there's just not much, purpose from his side you know maybe from the Mavs side they may might like to see that because hey they could sell some extra tickets and they can the coaching staff can get some more tape you know but uh the Mavs are always going to be try to be cautious about this and then I'm not surprised this camp might be pushing that direction and honestly yeah the the future trying to prevent future injuries is a big deal for me because I think that's the biggest risk with the trade um he's already been dinged up a lot in his career, his short career, you know, the ACL surgery, and he's had some other injuries, you know, hasn't really played 82 games or or close to that, uh, I think, since his rookie year. So, you know, whatever they can do to get him stronger, I'm all for. And if that means him having to sit out, even if it's more money related, uh, I'm okay with that. But so, yeah, he's played 72 games his rookie year, 66 uh, the next year, and 48 um, in 2017-2018. Yeah, so he, you know, there's obviously something there. He's injury prone. So it's, and they're not, you know, they're all lower leg injuries. You know, they're all lower body injuries. It's not like uh, something fluky, like falling weird and, and hurting his elbow or, or spraining a wrist or something like that. They're like all a baseball injury where you high five a guy and break your thumb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or making chicken and, and cutting yourself on a cutting board or something <laughs> like that. I feel like that happens every summer with a pitcher or something. Yeah. Uh, but That's yeah, so they're more normal, which is, <laughs> you know, the injuries are never fun, but if they're on something stupid, then they're a little more humorous. I know. Our baseball, are baseball players just more clumsy? Cause you never hear like, you know, like Kobe Bryant's not missing, didn't miss like 20 games because he cut himself on a, on a cutting board while making dinner or tripped over his dog. Like, I'm not entirely sure. But I, wanna, oh, I wonder what's I, going my, on there. My guess is that the NBA might be better at, you know, covering, making those injuries seem realistic. Ones that might happen <laughs> off the floor or whatever, you know, maybe that's just me, but I that's feel like, or, but part of it might be baseball players are more bored. And so they do more stupid things while they're just <laughs> hanging out during a game, more aggressive with their high fives or whatever. I don't know. I'll that's true. This. I wouldn't I wouldn't blame the NBA for being better about like covering that like in the media and covering it up or doing stuff like that cuz my I've got my big Illum- NBA Illuminati theory is that all of these like crazy viral NBA stories that come up are basically like orchestrated by the league to keep the league like viral and in the news like uh the the story from a couple of years ago the Rockets and Clippers fight where they like went through the secret tunnel to meet each other you know in the <laughs> locker room like to me that is total like maybe they got mad for a little bit but like w- when the story kept like getting told and like players get interviewed they're like oh yeah you know we weren't that mad or whatever like to me that's just the NBA going like okay it's like a Tuesday night or whatever it's boring we need to spice things up all right uh Chris say you went down the locker room like Clint Capella like hey when you talk to the media make sure you embellish this a little bit or like when J.R. Smith threw the soup at the assistant coach. <laughs> like maybe he just like yelled at him and then the league texted him like 
three hours later and were like, hey, when someone asks about this story, tell them that you threw soup at him. He's like, what? See, if it was like, anybody but J.R. Smith and the Rockets. That's then, true. Because like, J.R. Smith would absolutely throw a bowl of soup at somebody. And I think people just hate the Rockets, you know, because they got in that fight with the, with the Lakers earlier this year. So that's true. But the other one, but that, yeah, like other I said, things, that's my I, crazy I, conspiracy theory. I might, I might go with you on that one. I might find a tinfoil hat of my own. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, now we're getting off topic, but uh, going back to Przingis, um Yeah. You know, like, like I said, I'm fine with him not playing. Um, it was good to at least hear it from Carlisle and, and Przingis. We feel like we haven't really heard from Przingis that much since the initial press conference. I think, was this the first time he's talked since that press conference? Uh, it's the first time he's like addressed the media in bulk. Um, the only other time where I've really talked much to him was down in Houston. That first, that very first road trip, he sat there and talked to media for like probably 20 minutes. Um, and I was there for maybe like 10, 15 of those. Um, but he's usually pretty open and honest. He's just kind of in and out of the locker room, like right about as we're getting in there. Like last night he was, he was just walking out right as we were let in. I was, I wanted to go grab him and ask him like, Hey, are you sure you're practicing tomorrow? Cause because Rick wasn't sure. So, but he's usually uh-huh. there and around and <clears throat> he's actually pretty friendly with the media. I wasn't quite sure how he was going to be. And he got all these, these stories from New York media, how, and, oh, he doesn't want to deal with, with media and, oh, he doesn't like the Knicks and he's crotchety or whatever thing they want to say about him. But I don't know. He seems like a pretty nice guy. He's just really tall and hard to talk to when you're five, nine, but you know, I'll strain my neck <laughs> to talk to this guy any day yeah you'll get used i'm sure you're getting used to that already yeah that's why i love jj berea so much i'm like i can actually look you right in the eye and i don't have to strain my neck you were a blessing or the nice thing they do when like you know maxi usually when i'll talk to him they'll like sit in the chair and i'm like i appreciate you coming down to my level (laughs) (laughs) it's a sign of respect it is (laughs) um but yeah it that's good to hear about christops uh it's not surprising that he's probably a little bit more comfortable you know, less crotchety with Dallas media with like, no offense, you know, it's just a different beast compared to New York. And then the kind of questions I'm sure he got all the time and, and how much he got hounded. It's probably, it's a little bit easier to be a little more low key in Dallas, even though this is still like a big city and a big market. Yeah. I mean, so I'm sure that's you, helping a little bit. The worst you got to deal with is Tim McMahon and, you know, he's actually nice on the inside. Don't tell him I said that. Oh, you got to <laughs> go there. Come on. He just like followed me like a couple months ago. <laughs> I don't need you ruining any relations I have with other NBA people. I'm so far on the outside of the basketball Twitter click. I'm finally breaking my way in. (laughs) You can't blow this for me. You can just blame that on me. You know, he'll just, he'll just give me some crap for it. (laughs) That's fair. Um, So let's go into the, now the game uh, Tuesday night. So last night when we were recording, uh, we're recording this uh, kind of a weird game, Uh, definitely very competitive, but, uh, the story seemed to be, you know, Luca and coming into the game, he was questionable with the knee strain. You know, he was very limpy against the Rockets on uh, Sunday. So, you know, he had probably his easily his worst game of his career. And really, when you look at it, one of the worst games anyone has played in the NBA this season. Um, he had nine turnovers, one of nine from the free throw line, one of seven from three, uh, 12 points, just really brutal and he wasn't really like wincing or like limping necessarily like it it didn't seem like he was necessarily in pain but you know 
we're not Lucas, so we can't say it for him. But you know, when you connect the dots and you see like how hobbled he was at the end of that Rockets game, and then how bad he played, you know, the next game, you know, and then playing 33 minutes, you know, it was obvious whether it, he was physically in pain or he was just thinking about it. Like something was off with him. You know, he didn't look like the Luca we know. And I think Carlisle even admitted to that after the game, and maybe lamented playing him as many minutes as he did. Um, which to me, I know I'm the guy sitting at home, but that just seems pretty obvious to me. Like the team is not really doing anything right now. So really what is the harm for him missing one game? Even though I know Luca is the kind of guy that's going to go kicking and screaming. And he shares that trait with Dirk and a lot of other great players where Absolutely. he wants to play every single game. Um, well, but yeah, what we personally oh, yeah, I appreciate ahead. him him playing in this game because uh, my older brother is in town and <clears throat> he lives in California and he's in the Navy and he's about to go on deployment and, in a couple months and this is gonna be the only Mavs game he gets to go to this season so I'm like I swear if y'all sit Luca for the one Mavs game he's in here for I'm gonna be real pissed so I got to go sit with with him and my parents uh, for the first half and you know I'm gonna be a, a huge Luca homer um for a second if you'll indulge me um yeah he did have a real bad game but it's not nearly as bad as everyone's making it out to be um I mean, yeah, the free throw shooting was terrible. I think he's in his own head about it. He said as much after the game. The shooting, he'll have off shooting nights, but he was out there working and hustling and doing everything but putting the ball in the basket to help this team win. And a lot of those turnovers, those were off. A lot of them came off of those like cross court passes that no other team has even seen coming or known were possible. But yet the Spurs got more hands on passes like that and were ready for them and anticipate them better than I've ever seen any other team just handle those passes because Greg Popovich is an amazing coach. And, you know, a lot of his turnovers, if if he's like driven the ball out of bounds or, you know, making some dumb play or traveling or uh, whatever else, like those dumb turnovers that are careless, those are bad turnovers. When you're actually just trying to make something happen, those turnovers aren't nearly as bad. It's not just him making a dumb play. It's him trying to be aggressive and make a pass that is a very difficult pass and for him has a little bit higher success rate than most people's minimal success rate on those difficult passes. But everyone's making a big deal out of it, and I don't think it was that horrible a game, even though he was hobbled and he did shoot terribly. Yeah, I think it was the I think it's the free throw shooting that made it, made it seem really bad. To be honest, yeah. You know, yeah, he missed was... his first. Yeah, he missed his first six, and then made one, and then missed the rest. And it was like, uh, it was rough, especially because it was a. It, if this wasn't a close game, I don't think it would be as big a deal. But it was a close game, and he was missing all those free throws when the team was trying to claw back into the game, and it kind of kind of ruined whatever you know. Like he said, he was playing really hard, and he was just getting undermined by his own you know free throw misses and things like that, which for a guy like him, he's so skilled and he has such a good touch and we see him make half court shots and we see him in practice throw up three fourths, three quarters court shots. Like they're nothing. And, and, and shoot around when he makes all these crazy shots. And it's, it's, I can only imagine how deflating it is for him. You know, it's deflating for us watching the game, but even for him doubly, triply. So just, he's like, these are literally the easiest shots. I'm, getting all night and I can't make them. So maybe that's, I think that's probably why it stood out even more. It's just, I've never seen a player as good as him, you know, as good a shooter as him have a night at the free throw line like that. Like one of nine, like that's, 
you know, that's Shaq. That's like a Shaq level number. You know, that's not something you would think, you know, Luca would do. Yeah. Yeah. And just what really stood out to me is I, I think it was it, it, the next to last time um, he went up to get it. Uh, it was the one trip that he made one. Um, I think he missed the first one and he just like sank down and like put his head in his hands. Like, oh my God, I am. I've never seen him that like disappointed on the court in a game that I've covered. And then afterwards, in his his outburst, I've never seen him that bad. You could tell he he took it real hard, and you know he <clears throat> like it was reported. Um, I think Bobby Carella was the first one to say he saw Luca in the back um, with the ball, <clears throat> and he went down onto the practice courts for about an hour hour and a half to go work on shots and and free throws mostly. Um, and then he <clears throat> he told them like, whoever he told PR. Um, that, hey, I'm going to talk to the media afterwards, but uh, I'm going to go take my shots now. Normally in, in games where he plays terribly, he, he'll he dip out real quick, and that's fine. You don't have to talk to the media every single time. But I was surprised that we were all sitting there waiting for as long as we were. and like, wait, he's still going to talk to us after this? Dang. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, and that's a very uh... – I know other great players do it, but that was very much a staple of Dirk. Uh, when he would have a terrible game, he would always, if it was a terrible home game, he would find the practice court as soon as possible. Or even if it was a road game, he would go find a gym or, or stay late if he could before the arena got shut down. Um, so that, you know, that's a, that's a sign of the kind of player he is and the kind of player he wants to be. So even though you never want to see him have a terrible game, it was, it's kind of cool to get, get confirmation of, you know, what we think of Luca. He's actually, he actually is in real life. Cause sometimes it's that perception and reality doesn't always mix together as cleanly as we want. But you talk about how you've never seen him this mad or dejected after a loss. Um, since you've been at uh, almost all the home games this year, I, I know it's just one year and, and everything, but what are your thoughts on how Luca is kind of handling this stretch of the season so far? Because the Mavs have lost six in a row. They've been wildly uncompetitive since the all-star break and since all the trades, um, they've perked up a little bit the last two games, but man, you know, the week before they were having some real stinkers, uh, stinkers that I had to cover that almost made me lose my mind and have like a nervous episode in real time on the internet. Uh, that Grizzly loss and that Nets loss were just some soul searching shit, man. Like, <laughs> makes you question everything you've ever done in your life before, kind of losses. So, hey, for your him, I, after those were art. <laughs> thank were you. I'm, art. I'm, misery usually creates the best art I've heard. And, you know, <laughs> that's when you get in the zone. But for Luca, this is far and away probably the worst basketball team he's ever been on not you know not necessarily like talent you know obviously nba players are better than what he's been playing with his whole life in terms of like you know if they played head to head but just in terms of like record and standing uh with other teams that he's playing with you know this is the most he's lost probably in a season in forever maybe his career uh so it must be hard for him to handle it you know he's the last two or three years he was in europe he was the toast of the town you know he was the guy he was the prodigy he was he was the European LeBron for the most part. Um, no, LeBron was the American Luca. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. I know. Uh, but so like you said, you know, he hasn't, we haven't really 
seen him lose like this. So what have you noticed, you know, early the first half of the year before the trades, even though they were losing and they kind of slipped from a, a really good start to the year, they were still pretty competitive and there were still some faint playoff hopes. But since the trades, they've just been brutal. What what have you felt like you've seen from that transition and, and how he's handling it and how do you think he's going to handle it? Well, I mean, it's tough. Like you said, he's been a he's always been a winner. No matter where he is, he's been able to propel his team to the heights of a championship. Even with with Slovenia, a team that was just a tiny two million person nation, winning all of Eurobasket with just two NBA caliber players, it was amazing. Um, but he's learned the NBA is, is another beast. And especially when you trade away four of your five starters um, as, as well or as badly as they fit, you know, those were starter caliber NBA players for the most part. Um, but it's tough for you to lead your team to victory on your own as good as he is with the pieces he's got around him. And he's taking it tough, but I mean, not that you want to see them lose, but you want to see him take it this tough. You want to see him get this personally upset about every loss. You don't want it to get easier because if you get easier, then you lose your edge and you're not nearly the player that, that is, wants to be one of the all-time greats. But I mean, he's a kid. He'll be fine. It's a new experience. It's a tough experience. It's not one that's going to last. And I think, what I don't know what fans really want to see him have to do less of this to bring in Kristoff for 15 games for him to maybe get hurt. That's not going to help anything, but you know, it is what it is right now. And there's literally, I think 15 games exactly left. Um, and they're going to be rough and you know, that's just kind of what it is. I think he knows that, but he's not going to take it any less hard or any less personal this losing. And I think that should encourage Mavs fans more than it should worry them that like the people in my mentors are saying, he needs to grow up and not be so mad and learn how to be a professional. No, he's, he knows how to be a professional. He's known since day one. He's known since probably a year before he even got drafted. This kid is a pro in every sense of the word. So he's not going to take these losses less hard. He's not going to probably drop less F bombs, probably anymore when I'm have my camera on him but uh you know I think he's fine it sucks he knows it sucks but he knows it's not forever and that should be enough for him to be able to handle these last few games all right with that that's a good stopping point let's take a break real quick and then we'll be back with more with Bryce after this Okay, we're back with Bryce Patrick, uh, one of our staff writers at MavsMoneyBall.com, one of our reporters in the field who has been going to the home games, going to practices, going to shoot-arounds, and trying to give us uh, the inside perspective that we've been trying to provide on the site since uh, Tim Cato uh, was running things and he started going to games. And then you know we got Doyle and he was going to games. And then myself, I tried to go to as many games as I could over the last couple of years. And, and now we have Bryce. Um, so... Bryce, it's been good to have you on and your perspective. And we've been talking about Luca and how he's been handling uh, the losing. Um, yeah, and it's been tough. And I think one thing about the Mavs right now is, like you said, it's it's before we went to break. You know, it's it's not going to get any better really. These last fifteen games, um, really, it feels like 
the the game since the all-star break have felt like i don't know almost like a training camp of sorts like a like a test or something for carl to kind of mix and match the pieces that he has right now to see what he has and and start planning for next season because a lot of the guys that are in the rotation right now are gonna be guys that are most likely going to be counted on as rotation players next season you know Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, they plan to re-sign and bring back, and they should be uh, guys that get uh, decent minutes. You got Jalen Brunson, who presumably, you know, he's starting right now. You presume he would be a backup next season, depending on how the Mavs summer goes, but he'll still be counted on, especially with uh, J.J. Barrea recovering from his Achilles injury. Uh, you got Tim Hardaway Jr., who, because of his contract, isn't really going anywhere. So you kind of need to figure out what you're getting from him. You know, Dwight Powell has a player option, but he should take it. And I think we already kind of know who Dwight Powell is, but it's still good to get some confirmation, you know, with the more minutes he's been getting since DeAndre Jordan got traded. So really, it just kind of feels like Carlisle's mixing and matching the pieces he has left to kind of see what he has and and to maybe start planning for next year and and who he wants to start and maybe who he wants to bring up the bench. I know a lot of that will wait until the draft and free agency, but you know, it's still good to get some more information on these guys getting more minutes than they were getting before. You know, now that Wes and Harrison Barnes and Deandre aren't here, you know, Dwight, Maxie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, these guys kind of have to step in and take some of the minutes. Um, I know I have my thoughts, but I want to get your thoughts. You know, what are your takeaways from, from some of these, uh, role players around Luca and how they're playing right now. Uh, obviously, they're not winning, so it's not great. But what are your thoughts on them, and and what are you looking for maybe from the final fifteen games? You know, if anything. Honestly, I'm I'm looking mostly at at Jalen Brunson, and I would like to see more of Courtney Lee and Brian Brokoff. Those and I, Justin Daxon too, because I don't I don't have any idea what he is, but um. With, uh, I mean, with Dwight Powell, like you said, we know who Dwight Powell is. I like Dwight Powell. I like how he does or doesn't have a dog, and I still don't know. Um, I like how he's a really good scorer around the rim. Um, you know, he fits with this team. He's one of the few people who's been here for a few years, which it seems like there's a, a, been a lot of turnover, especially this year and even a little bit last year. Um, but, you know, Maxi, everyone talked about he's had a, this downturn um, – towards the end of the season, his shooting numbers, I think are down. Um, you know, his rebounding has never really been great, but it's been even less good of late, but he's still got that lingering toe injury. He, he talked with, with Tim Cato in a Q and a, he had the other day, um, on the athletic. I mean, I've talked to him a whole bunch, um, this season and ever since he, he had that injury, um, I can't remember what exactly it was, but I know it was to his, his, uh, big toe on uh, his left foot. And it bothered him a lot, and he missed a few games in December. Um, he got it against the Pelicans in New Orleans. Um, and then it just kind of lingered, and he thought it might get better eventually when he got off of it for a few days um, during the All-Star break. That hasn't really been the case. Um, and I think that might be one of the reasons um, why he's been coming off the bench. And I don't think he's even gotten more than maybe 24, 25 minutes these last like month and a half or so. Um, but I'm a believer in Maxi Kleba and I'm a believer in his shot, even though, as Holger said to me, that thing's always going to be short. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> I wouldn't take too much stock into a lot of his numbers the rest of the season. Cause he is definitely playing hurt. I'm not exactly sure why that they need to play in that much. If he is 
still lingering on that injury. But, I mean, as you know, the Mavs need a lot of shooting, and so that's why I want to see more of Courtney Lee and Ryan Brokoff, who I think are their two best shooters on the roster right now. I don't think that's much of a stretch to say. I mean, maybe Luca next year will be, but, you know, I always want more three-point shooting, and I still don't understand why in these terrible, terrible games that Ryan Brokoff isn't getting more minutes because I really like his game. I love having a guy that can come off the bench, and, you know, I feel like he was signed to kind of fill that Doug McDermott role, you know, be the kind of wing shooter, creator, secondary creator a little bit off the bench. Uh, maybe even he's kind of a tertiary creator with that bench unit if they've got um, Berea and uh, and Devin Harris out there. But for some reason, he just hasn't been able to get minutes this season. And I think, why not? Why not now? So I don't know. That's kind of what I'm looking for. And then what Jalen Brunson has been able to do these last couple of weeks has been incredible. I've been extremely impressed on him. Uh, or with him and with his performances, especially that 34-point game where he basically carried them into competing and nearly beating a very good playoff Spurs team. So I I think I might have changed my opinion on him and and his future role. I don't think he's a starter next year, but I think down the line, it's definitely not out of the question to think he could be a quality starter. Yeah, Brunson has by far been the bright spot, you know, outside of anything involving Luca since the trades. Um, I was very vocal in criticism when he was picked last summer, not necessarily because I didn't like dislike the player. Uh, I thought he was a very good player, and I thought he was a very good pick for where the Mavs were picking, you know, 33 overall in the second round. To get a player like Brunson is you don't, that doesn't happen very often, you know, national college player of the year and someone that, you know, even projects nicely into the NBA, maybe not as like a badass starter kind of guy, but at least someone that could find a role as a good player on a good team somewhere. Um, but I was vocal in it because the Mavericks had like 45 short point guards on the roster at the time. And lo and behold, now they only basically have two with uh, Harris and Brunson and Brea's hurt. Dennis Smith Jr.'s traded away. So it's turned out to be a pretty great pick so far. And I still have reservations in terms of who they could have gotten with the wings and uh, the bigs that were available. Uh, every time I see Mitchell Robinson have a sweet block or a sweet dunk, I cry a little bit knowing the Mavs could have got him. But also, you know, knowing the way the Mavs work and it, Brunson just seems like the pick that works. And that's a whole nother conversation about thinking about like, well, Mitchell Robinson would have done, wouldn't have done as well here because of, you know, maybe some of the concerns about his, his personality and how it would mesh with Rick. Like that's a whole another podcast in terms of like why that could be an issue or whatever, but Hey, they took Brunson and he's been good. Um, he's been shooting almost, you know, basically 50% uh, since the all-star break uh, over 35% from three over 90% from the free throw line. Um, scoring, you know, over 14 points per game, just really solid numbers and putting up better numbers than, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. was putting up uh, before he got traded. And, you know, defensively, I'm not sure if it's it's still there for him. You know, he's a rookie and the, he's not necessarily the quickest or, or strongest guy on the floor. Um, so I'm not sure how well he projects there. He's not necessarily a very long uh, guard for his height. Um but man, he knows how to play. You know, he's very comfortable from 15 feet in. Uh, his shooting percentages, like in the paint, uh, from any spot in the paint, are very good, especially for a rookie. Um, his above the break three point shooting numbers, I tweeted this 
earlier today, they're very good. And that's usually a spot where rookies struggle coming over from college because, you know, it's such a dramatic step back compared to the corner three, which is a little shorter. He's actually doing way worse on corner threes. You know, he's shooting. Yeah, he's shooting about really he's shooting above 38 percent from above the break threes uh, on the season. And his each corner three, he is like 30 percent or below, like not very good at all. Yeah, so you know, wow. yeah, I know it is. It's very surprising, surprising, but with his good free throw stroke and hitting the above the break threes, you have to imagine that with more practice, with more time, the corner threes will come because that is, you know, ultimately typically the easier shot. So that's like not even a concern on my radar. You know that, yeah. as, especially as he keeps playing with Luca, who is just you know a beast at finding corner three point shooters. You know he'll keep getting looks. Yeah, he'll keep knocking them down. But yeah, Brunson's been exactly. fun. I like. I really like his. I really like his pairings. I mean, the the two main thing. I guess there's the three main positions. The two starters or the three starters outside of the guaranteed ones next year is is what they're kind of looking to get. And you got those archetypes that you want. You want someone who can, you know, be a two guard or maybe a secondary creator or occasionally play point to start alongside Luca that can defend point guards. And you know, they talked about their top target being Kemba Walker, which you do need some more scoring and and uh creation talent and i like kemba all right but i don't know that i because <clears throat> then you get two guys who can't really play defense and you're not going to get a three that's defending point guards full time that's just not going to happen unless they really think that dorian finney smith can defend point guards all the time every single game which that's a big tough ask but i don't i really like jalen brunson on defense there was uh, I forgot. I think it was one of the early Houston games. I think it was in Houston, uh, or it might have been the one before that. But he had this amazing defensive game on Chris Paul. He just made him look silly um, and just completely shut him down. A, a lot of defense, you know, is is attitude, and you know, we saw it with with Dennis how he had the physical tools to be a monster on defense. But like, we only saw it for maybe five, six games out of the. I don't know, 80 or however many he played, 800 something he played while he was here. And, you know, I'd take a guy with less physical tools and more of an attitude and a commitment to be aggressive on defense uh, every single day. And I like that in Jalen Brunson. Yeah, I think you're you're maybe shortening Dennis's defense a little bit. Definitely his rookie year, he was <laughs> definitely not great. But I think he made some strides before he got traded. Uh I would say he had more than five or six good defensive games. That's true. I, but I, I understand. I, I see your I'm point more now. short him towards the end, but I haven't seen it that much in, in New York. He's kind of lapsed back into it. I was firmly on the Dennis can be a really good point guard, really good defensive point guard, and like honestly just defensive havoc wreaker, which with all the like hopping back and forth between multiple guys that he was doing for that stretch of like 10 games or whatever it was in a row where he was just a monster starting with the first game in Houston, um, stretching to where he had that, that uh, game saving block on Tobias Harris and uh, really good defense down the stretch against uh, in that game against OKC. Um, but it just wasn't consistent out of him. And I haven't seen it the few games that I've watched of the Knicks. I haven't watched all their games, so he might be doing it and I'm just being ignorant, but you know, I wanted to see it more con- consistently out of Dennis, um, but I've seen it, the effort and the mentality consistently out of Jalen Brunson, uh, whatever I've seen him play. For sure. He definitely has, he, he seems to have a better understanding of the game and, and playing, you know, uh, not to compare Dennis and, and 
Jalen too much, but you know, Dennis played one year at NC State and missed his uh, missed the high school season, and then came right out of the, after that to the NBA. You know, Brunson played you know full high school career, played three seasons at a top tier program in Villanova, deep into the postseason. You know, highly regarded coach. You know, came into the league a little bit of an older player, so you know he definitely and professional yeah. dad. Which, which definitely, yeah, helps. definitely. Like he was, you know, since he was born, he was destined to be a uh, professional, you know, pe- professional basketball player, or you know, basically professional, whatever he wanted to be, whatever he, you know, he ended up making. Oh no, he wanted to be. I remember right early in the season, I when I was talking to him, um, there's one answer that that I to a question I asked him that stood out, and when he was talking about the influence that his dad had on his game, and he's like, yeah, when I was training in my backyard to like. I wasn't I wasn't working to get a scholarship to some college. I wasn't training to be a starter in in college or whatever to start in my high school team or whatever. I was preparing to be a professional basketball uh, NBA basketball player and I knew that from the time I was a kid. And it's like, yep. Yep, you look like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, he definitely seems like he has a very good grasp of the game and very patient game, you know. The thing that surprised me a lot about him has been how good he's been scoring, you know, in the paint and and at the rim, which is usually a place where, you know, players of his stature struggle earlier on in their careers and, and just rookies in general, rookie guards struggle uh, in general as they're getting used to, you know, different defensive rules and, and the length and the size and the speed difference from college and the NBA. But he's handled it very well because he seems to be very smart and patient about it. You know, he is not a guy that is going to, you know, thunder down the lane and try to jam it. You know, he is – very shifty. He changes speeds really well. You know, he uses ball fakes and head fakes very well to get guys out of position to make it easier for him to score. Uh, I think that was a big thing in the the Spurs game on Tuesday night was he was very, very patient in getting to the rim and and being able to get an open shot, even when he's dribbling into three defenders. Exactly. The thing that I forgot who it was, I think it was uh, locked on that talked about, um, talked about how he, he knows what he wants to do when he gets the basketball. He knows where he wants to go in transition when he gets the ball, when he makes a cut, he does it with a purpose and he knows exactly what he's doing all the time, which is just very high level basketball IQ and what you really want in someone who's going to be one of your primary creators, either whether it is the primary creator on the, the second unit or as a secondary creator with Luca, you want players who make smart cuts and move without the basketball, especially around Luca, because I feel like a lot of the season, especially early on, it was just, Luca dribbling around and guys kind of staring and no one making intelligent moves. Whereas like the thing about Steph Curry that makes him so amazing. And in my opinion is that on offense, he is in constant motion running past screens, whether the second he passes the ball, he's running somewhere else to try and stay in motion and just mess with the defense. And Luca does that a lot too. And really great players, they'll be in constant motion, just kind of, you know, try and make something happen. If you're just, if there's four guys standing around and one guy driven with the ball, it's not going to be very difficult to stop that one guy. For sure. And uh, let's take our final break real quick, um, and then we will be back with more with Bryce, and we'll finish this episode out. Okay, we're back with Bryce Paderek, uh, staff writer at MavsMoneyBall.com. And like I've said before, one of our reporters in the field who's been covering our home games and practices and even a couple of road games that he's been able to make it to. Um, we've talked about Przingis and his practice. We've talked about 
Luca and the, and kind of the struggles that he's been going through and, and the struggle the team's been going through and how he's handling it. We've kind of gone through the team now, but as we're wrapping up, Bryce, I don't want to take up too much time because I know it is a, a Wednesday night and we got stuff to do. Um, I, I kind of want to get your perspective on this is your first year as kind of like a full-time reporter covering a team, you know, a professional team. Uh, I know you've done some sport blogging and writing before you came to, to Maz Moneyball. And, you know, I know you were with Maz Moneyball uh, before this season uh, in prior years. I just kind of want to get your perspective. I always like this. This might be only interesting to me and like three other people that like, you know, went to journalism school and, and, and tried to follow this path in this industry. Well, Hey, I'm sure my mom will be very enthralled. When yes. Thank you. Thank you. Bryce's mom. <laughs> Click and subscribe, please. Um, oh, she will. Thank you. Um, but yeah, how, how do you feel like it's been going? You know, what are your perspectives? What have, you know, just kind of give me your thoughts. What has been like, the challenging part that maybe you didn't think about going into it. What's been something that's maybe been easier than you thought it would be, but you know, just kind of, I'm always curious to know what it's like for kind of first year people that are covering a team like this or, or really digging down into a beat or doing stuff like that. Um, because I know I, for me, it was, it was pretty hectic and wild, but uh, I kind of want to know what your thoughts are. Yeah. Well, I, this has been a little more, a little more hectic and wild than I thought. Um, I've been, I've always wanted to, being a beat writer is something I, I knew that I could do. Well, I thought that I could do until I was actually doing it. And now that I'm actually in it my first year, I, I know that I can do it. I like it's it's a grind. It definitely is a grind day to day. But, you know, I've been on <clears throat> I've seen what it's what it's like being a an MLB beat reporter. Not that I've done it, but I have close friends who do it. And I see the kind of grind that they're doing. And I'm like, oh, I've only got like three, four games a week. Oh, this is easy. Oh, this is so easy. Um, and also they're not nearly as long as baseball games. Um, and they're a little more entertaining of a league. Um, but some, some things that were a little easier than I thought, uh, was, was that grind. Um, maybe I'm just being a little cocky and it is just my first season. And if I am an everyday beat for the Rangers this season, like I think I might be, um, then when I come into next season, I might be absolutely dead. Um, <clears throat> because baseball will have killed me. Um, but something that's a little, a little harder is one of the weirdest parts of this job that um, I've talked to a couple of people who've been on the beat for a while that apparently never gets any less weird or less hard is, um, is the trades. It's just kind of a weird concept. You know, we're not players, friends, but we're friendly with them. We see these guys all the time. Sometimes we'll see them if you're traveling with the team, you probably see these people more often than you see your family. It's just kind of a weird relationship and dynamic uh, and i was actually at the the knicks game um, the day before this huge trade happened and i remember i was hanging out with a friend in in upstate new york my phone started blowing up the one time i'm ever not on twitter constantly checking what's going on um, and i started getting all these updates and people texting me and everything my friend's like do you need to get that and i'm like well, normally no but my phone never blows up like this. So something important might've happened. And I look at it and I'm like, wait, what's this trade? Who's gone? What? I just saw these guys yesterday and now I'm probably not going to see them for another year. Maybe if ever. And I've spent like two, three days a week with them for the last like four months. It's just kind of a weird concept that you never get used to. The same thing with Har the Harrison Barnes trade, which is, even more surreal because I'm looking at him on the bench 
as I'm seeing the report on Twitter that he's traded, and I'm like, I'm not going to see this guy for another two months, a dude that I really respect and enjoyed covering. And there's no, I mean, it's not like we're, we're best buds, but like, there's no chance to say, Oh, goodbye. It was really nice covering you. Nope. They're just gone. You just don't see him again until the next team, next time they play your team. It's just kind of a, a weird deal, but yeah, that's something apparently you don't get used to. Um, but it's been really fun. Um, it's been my first season. I like to try and <clears throat> try and bring a perspective that I know the other people who are on the beat that are quote unquote, the real beat writers that, you know, get paid wh- what a living wage. Um, I hear that's a thing. Um, but the guys who've been doing this for forever, like McMahon and Cato and uh, Brad Townsend and, and Dwayne and, and even the national guys like Mark Stein, I, I know what the kind of things they're going to write are. Um, and so I'll go in and find those stories that, you know, no one, none of those people are going to sully themselves with, you know, who cares what, who, what Mavs have dogs and what Mavs don't have dogs. None of them were going to ask that. And that turned into weird series of tweets where I found out that Dwight Powell allegedly did or did not have a dog and somehow made it to the front of NBA Reddit, um, to where my friend across the country was like, oh, hey, yeah, I saw your name on the front page of, of our NBA. And that was kind of weird. Um, but it's just that I like finding those little angles that I know nobody else is going to find. And that's been my favorite part of this year is kind of finding that niche for weird, goofy stuff that I know people will like. And I think the players enjoy talking about that because, you know, talking about the X's and O's of a sport can be exhausting. And when someone instead of asking you for the hundredth time, you know, how did, how did you, what did you think on that last play? Oh, well, I tried to execute the game plan and, you know, uh, my teammates, teammates, blah, 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 coach speak, coach speak. You know, you don't have predetermined answers for if someone asks you um, what kind of video games do you like to play or um, what's your go-to trash talking line? You know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna have a prefabricated um, you know, coach speak answer for those questions. So those are my favorite ones to ask and the favorite, it's really nice what I get to learn from those kind of answers. Yeah, for sure. And, um, for me, uh, you know, I haven't really covered a professional team in this capacity, you know, over the last two or three years, I've gone to, you know, 20, 30 games tops, uh, to try to balance with my real life and, and my Mavs Moneyball life. But when I was coming up through, uh, college and and high school, you know, I was covering a lot of high school sports, high school teams, and then a lot of uh, college teams. And while I can't necessarily relate to, you know, the trade stuff and and a guy being there and then being gone the next day, there was definitely maybe, you know, for like seniors and and things like that, that, that sense of like, Hey, I've been here three or four years and, you know, I've seen you at practice for two or three of those years. And, you know, now you're gone and you're the guy I went to to talk to all the time because you're a senior and you knew how to do it. And these freshmen don't know what they're talking about. Like, so that's <laughs> kind of like how I could relate to it. You know, like when I was at UTA and, and covering the UTA basketball team and then covering some high schools. Um, yeah, it's weird. You know, like you said, you see these guys a lot and you don't consider them as friends, but they're, they're people you form relationships with and you try your best to keep that at bay but you know we're all human and i feel like you know i'm honestly kind of over that kind of stuff and you know i feel like there's better stories to be told when you're not always trying to put up barriers between you know athletes and 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 reporters and stuff like that um 
to, to yeah, an extent. Yeah, obviously, you don't want to be like a lap dog. It's the weirdest relationship that like <clears throat> it's the weirdest like relationship that I've had with like people because it's like it's such a strange line where I'm like most people like on average i default to like yeah i'd like to be friends with this person that i've met like i'm just normally a friendly guy i feel like that kind of makes for a good reporter but also you're told you got to be impartial you got to be objective you can't like solely yourself with having emotions and being a normal human being is, is all what they tell you in journalism school in case you were were wondering um <laughs> but um also like i see these people all the time like and like i generally default to not writing slanderous pieces so they don't get not that so they don't get mad at me but like that's just kind of not what i do i'm not a dead spin archetype of a person <laughs> but um you know it's still you gotta keep that kind of wall of professionalism so if you do need to write a, you know a piece about how hey dwight powell kind of sucks at three-point shooting you know so like hey i thought we were friends and so now they're not going to talk to you anymore it's just like you know knowing how to walk that line between being friendly and not and knowing that you're probably never going to go hang out and grab a beer with these people. It's just not how this relationship works. Well, we're running up against almost an hour, but Bryce, I, thank you so much for your time. And uh, this has been fun. I appreciate you hopping on and providing your perspective. This is your first time on the podcast. So uh, we could celebrate that a little bit. And um you know, thanks again for taking the time. And it's always fun to talk about stuff like that. And thanks for engaging me here at the end about kind of like some inside journalism, inside baseball kind of talk. Because uh, it's that's something I can do a lot, even if not a lot of people care. But, um, you know, thanks again for hopping on. This has been fun. Hey, people love inside sports and I'm sure they love <laughs> inside journalism. And if they don't, we do and <laughs> we matter more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks again for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. We'll try to maybe get you on again in the future. Cause I love to just kind of rotate people Absolutely. in and out. Um, so yeah, thanks again. And you know, we'll see you at the next game and, and we'll see some of the stories you're working on. We'll be up on the site uh, soon from, from the interviews you've been getting lately. Uh, so everyone be on the lookout for that. Otherwise uh, keep, uh, checking this feed because we had uh, Nick's podcast. His first episode went up on Tuesday of this week, so you can check that out. And then uh, Jeffrey Cooperstein, he had his first episode last week, and his second episode should be coming sometime this weekend, maybe on Saturday. We're trying to get into a regular schedule. Uh, the hopeful schedule is going to be Nick on Tuesday, me on Thursday, and uh, Jeff or Jeffrey. I don't actually know which one he prefers. I'll figure that out. But uh, I just call him Mini Cooper. Okay, that's what. I, that's fair. Um, and then so he'll probably be on Saturday. So that's kind of the schedule you can expect. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun having a lot of different Mav shows every week and a lot of different voices and perspectives. And especially you know Nick and Jeff have a radio background and. And, and things like that so they're way better at this than me so the audio quality and production values will go way up and then you can compare it to me and see how sucky i am but uh <laughs> otherwise it'll be a good time so we are done for this week so this has been the Maz Moneyball podcast and come join us next week and we'll see you then yeah.